So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 54. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ears to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just bow in a short word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that we have the privilege of being able to read it, to hear it, and to hear it expounded. And Father, I just pray that you will be with Pastor Barry now as he brings your word to us. Help him, Father. Just give him freedom through your Holy Spirit to speak what is on his mind that you have given him for us in your precious name. I think I'd like to summarize what I would like you to take home this morning with these words that we sang earlier. He has given us his everything, which I hope you believe with all of your heart. But I want you to also grasp this truth this morning that he is giving us his everything. <laughs> it's not merely a reflection on a historical event. It's a reflection on a historical event that completely changes our present reality. And the words I would like to be ringing in your ears this morning is from verse four that was read from Psalm 54 this morning. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. So on this Thanksgiving Sunday, let us give thanks to the Lord for this reality that David declares in this psalm. The Lord is my helper. Amen? Amen? Not simply the Lord is a helper. God save us from merely being able to recite things that are true. But to be able to speak of truth in a way that is profoundly experiential. The Lord is my helper. Amen. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. Those are the words I want you to leave with today in your, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your experience, and, and all that characterizes us as a body, as believers in Jesus, that the Lord is our helper. And today we're taking a, book, a break from the book of Revelation. If you're visiting with us today, then please be patient with me. We have been going through the book of Revelation for the past number of months. So welcome you here today. Also welcome the foundations class that are, are here uh, taking in uh, the, the sermon and the, the Lord's table this morning. Taking a break from the text of Revelation, but not from the message of Revelation. 
In other words, leaving the text and giving Pastor Paul a break today from all the heavy lifting that he's been doing these last few months in, in the book, but not leaving the message of the book of Revelation, coming to one of its core ideas and using a psalm to expound in that. And I'm using the words of David intentionally, who I believe, if you notice the psalm, felt the same kind of antagonism, felt the same kind of threat in the world in which he lived that John describes the Christian church in his day also experiencing and calling upon God. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. And it reminds us of the grace of God, of the great grace of God, that the ones that God calls, God also sustains. Has God called you? Do you understand? All of this, this isn't to take a pass or to neglect all of the things that God calls us to, but to take those very things that God does indeed call us to, and in each of the things, in all of the things that God calls us to, to say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my life. The one who not only calls me, to, to live my life, but also sustains me to live that very life that he calls us to, and that is the grace of God. The Lord is my helper. Notice the positive aspect that there is in the idea of lordship in that particular idea. The Lord is my helper. I grew up with a a fundamentally negative idea of lordship. And I think the way that we cast lordship in the church today often is cast very, very negatively. And we speak of lordship salvation. We say that unless that Jesus is your Lord, he can't be your savior. You say that you must have Jesus as your Lord, savior, and master, all of which I completely and entirely agree with 100%. But do you notice that all of that vocabulary, while true, is fundamentally negative? And the statement, the Lord is my helper, is, is a positive cast on the whole idea of taking all of, all of the Lord, all of God's uh, might and dominion, his authority and his power, and not being threatened by it, not speaking negative, negatively of it, but that Lord that Lord with all of that dominion, all of that power, all of that authority and strength, he is my helper. It's a wonderful and marvelous concept that the, that the psalmist expounds here. The Lord is our helper. We, and this is the main point that I would like you to take home with you today, that we endure as Christians, and we must endure as Christians those of us that have been going through the book of Revelation together, you'll recognize the language and the emphasis that it's a call for, the, for God's people in the final chapters of, of the book of, of all of God's revelation, a final call for God's people to endure. But the simple message today is that we endure as Christians because... <laughs> because... Not because we're glory seekers and we can do it on our own, thank you very much. But we endure because of the reality of God as our helper. The Lord is our helper. And that's what I would like you to take home with you today. The psalmist says, the Lord daily bears me up. The psalmist says, I will sing and praise your power. 
Why would that be? <laughs> because instead of being threatened by the power of God, instead of being concerned about possibly ascribing too much authority and power to the dominion of God in our lives, we instead praise him for his power, <laughs> that he is a God of power. Praise the Lord, he is a God of power. And it is something that should delight our souls because he is our helper. So three simple points I want to work through this morning. That is what, how, and why. What does it mean that God is our helper? How does God help us? And why is it significant? Why is it important for us to understand this simple idea of God as our helper? I'll begin with what. What does it mean when we say God is my helper? It means an experience of God's grace. That's what it means. It's a declaration of the kindness of God towards our people, that, that, towards his people, that through every season of life, the grace and the kindness of God gets deeper as we begin to grasp in, in whatever path God calls us to walk in, paths that we never had any idea that we would be walking in those paths to understand the experience of God is the one who sustains me. It is an experience of the kindness and the grace of God that pushes us deeper into his grace. It's a humble acknowledgement. Yes, humble. In the presence of our almighty God, an acknowledgement of an absolute dependency upon the kindness of God to not only to save us, but to sustain us and be our helper in all that God calls us to to do and to be and being followers of the Lamb. We've tried to emphasize over, tried to emphasize this over and repeated this idea over and over as we've gone through the book of Revelation, that it is a pastoral book with a pastoral objective. It is written to churches that are in desperate need of encouragement. Churches that were at risk in vulnerability with the defilement of the world, with, with living and, and dwelling in the place, John says, where, where Satan has his throne. Living in, in the midst of all kinds of, of failure, in the midst of all kinds of compromises, and in need of a call to overcome. In need of a call to, to come out from her, as we had heard so dramatically last week from from chapters 18 and 19. And perhaps those of you that have been going through the book with us, or if you're familiar with the book, by, by now perhaps you have begun to feel some of the weight of all that these visions call us to. Have you felt it? Of the e enormity, of the, of the weight that all that John calls the churches to, to do and to be and to hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And there is indeed a sense of weight to what John uh, reveals to the churches, all that they are called to be, to come out of Babylon, to not be seduced by 
the worship of the things in this world, which is called beast worship, to not take his mark, in other words, to not find our identity and our, our riches in, in the material things of this world, to not soil our garments as a, as a, as a purchased bride with, with spiritual unfaithfulness with the world around us, to be, to be lamb followers, not beast followers, to, to be God seekers and, and not earth dwellers. Right? There's, there's a lot of weight there. I, I hope that you have rightly so felt some of the weight that John gives to the churches and all that they are called to be and being betrothed to the Lamb. I believe that we are intended to feel the weight of it. But, but, in the midst of feeling the weight, where you go from there is absolutely critical. And that's why we're taking a, a pause this week on this Lord's Day Communion Sunday to just stop and talk about this. The point of feeling the weight is not to set the bar so high that we despair. We despair and we download all of the weight of following the Lamb as some kind of lawful command that we cannot bear. I hope you understand that. That's not the point of the book. It's not John's pastoral objective in the book. In all that, that the church is indeed called to be, to not simply set the bar so high that, that well, we, we despair. Like, well, well, that might be for some Christians, but, it, but it's not for me. What am I to do with all of this? Rather, it is to see that all of those lawful commands, all of the things that the, the scriptures of the book of Revelation exhorts us to, is the very thing that God sustain us in. God is our helper. And there is an abject and complete, humble casting of ourselves upon the Lord to say, Lord, all that you call me to be. Lord, be my helper. Sustain me in all that you call me to be. Now, let me stop there and ask you, do you have a problem with that? I used words like an abject casting of ourselves. <laughs> that's not, our, that's not our, our default position, is it? Let's talk about our defaults a little bit. We're glory seekers. We're, I can do this. I can do that. I got a little grandson who's using those words all the time right now. It reminds me of what it's like to have little children around. I grabbed hold of a, a, a wheelbarrow in my backyard, completely filled with, with logs, and said, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> I can do this. That, 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 that's, our, that's our default. That's, that's how we're, we're hardwired. I got this. We can do this. And if we receive all that that John reveals to be true of what God calls us to be as the spotless bride of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. Without understanding, God, you are my helper. You are the sustainer of my life. And all the things that you call me to, you must also sustain me in. Guess who gets the glory? 
And guess what it's all about in the first place? Is giving glory to God. Secondly, how? It's a question I love to ask. How? How does it work? How does God help us? You say, well, no, I, I got that. I know, I know how, how it works. That you, you read your Bible and, and you ask God for his Holy Spirit. Those are the fundamentals of the Christian faith. They absolutely are. But there, are, there is a fundamental that rules the fundamentals. <laughs> Can I say that? I don't mean to, 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 to be, be complicated, but let me say this about reading the Bible. There are people that we read in the scriptures that gave their entire life to nothing but the study of the scripture, to understand it, to absorb it, to teach it. They even put little boxes of it on their forehead. And those same ones who, who gave themselves to the scriptures murdered Jesus. Our Lord says that when he comes in power, that there will be those that will show, have shown tremendous power in the Holy Spirit, that they've raised the dead even, that they've healed people and done all kinds of marvelous things in the name of Jesus. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, there is a fundamental that rules the fundamentals. What was wrong with the Bible readers, what was wrong with the use of the Spirit is they never saw the person of the book. And they never understood the person that was magnified in the work and person of the Holy Spirit. The whole point of reading your Bible isn't a ritual. The whole point of crying out to God as a father to please give us your spirit is that we would see the lamb and that we would understand him as, as, as the one that we absolutely depend upon. So let me put it this way, that, that God is our helper by making worshipers of all of us. You'll never get around that. You'll, you'll, you'll never find any other way to, to walk in the Christian life. You'll never find any technique. You'll never find any textbook. You'll never find any analysis to, to live and to walk in a way that, that fulfills all that God calls us to be, except you be made a worshiper. And to be made a worshiper, we depend upon God for that very thing. Don't we? I mean, how much humble dependence can we possibly have upon God? And is it possible to depend upon him too much? The Lord is our helper. The Lord is our helper. Worship isn't just a component of the Christian life. It is the identity of the Christian. It isn't just something that we do sometimes. I, I often hear people talk about worship, and it's very interesting conversations, but it, but it isn't something that we do. It's something that God makes us to be. We are a worshiper. A Christian is a worshiper or not a Christian at all. God is our helper. How? He makes us worshipers. Lord, make me to know your ways. The Lord is our helper. I love Psalm 110, verse 3, that says, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. And there's no greater power ever displayed for the church to see than in the visions of Revelation and the glory of the Lamb in contrast to the utter, utter, other complete hopelessness of the world. So as we go through the book of Revelation, this is the perception that I would hope that you are left with. That yes, there is an exhortation to worship. There is a call to be worshipers, to say hallelujah. 
in the presence of God. We understand the call. We understand the exhortation. But do you understand this? That the, that the book of Revelation is not only an exhortation to worship, but it is also the book, the instrument that is used to make us worshipers. That's why it's such a significant book of discipleship. And it calls us to worship, but it's also in the call is, is the very means that God uses to actually make us worshipers. And it's done through the exaltation of the Lamb. It's all about the Lamb. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's intended to display for the church the exalted person of the Lamb in all of his dominion and power and glory. It is that Lamb. The Lord is my helper. And the visions and all of the visions that follows the, the epistles and the text, I hope you've seen that we've discovered. It takes all that God has ever said through his apostles and prophets and all the seasons and dispensations of God's working in his people, whether it be the patriarchs or the, or the life of Israel or the times of the, the church away in Babylon or the, the contest between Pharaoh and God himself. And all of that thing, John, John declares, all of it, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, to be the sum and the capstone of all of it. That's why it said in Revelation 19, verse 10, that the Spirit of worship is the testimony of Jesus. You can't be a worshiper <laughs> unless you grasp the testimony of Jesus, the fullness that the scripture testifies to be true about the Lamb. And Jesus is proclaimed to be the sum of all of it. God is our helper, the sustainer of our life. By healing our eyes to see again and again that this defiling world in light of the Lamb's dominion and authority over, over all things, that the world can't promise anything that it can fulfill, that it can actually carry through on. But the Lamb is great. <laughs> and there is nothing, there is nothing that God has purposed to give us through the exaltation of the Lamb that can be thwarted. That's the purpose of the book. And it grips our hearts and it makes us, it makes us worshipers. He is very great. And it allows us to receive all of the exhortations. And, and I in, in no way have any, any interest in undermining or watering down or explaining away all of the godliness that God calls us to. All of the separation from the defilement of this world. But I am saying that in those very things, God must be our helper. And we must attribute it to the grace and kindness of God to us. It's, it allows us to receive those things, not as a burdensome law, but rather as the most desirable wisdom. See the difference between those two things? The revelation isn't imparting to us a burdensome law, but a desirable wisdom. It's like navigation in a storm. 
If you were in a storm and you were in a ship and, and, and you received navigation, would you receive that navigation as some kind of burdensome law? <laughs> no, I don't, that would be too humble to, to, to submit to that, to obey that, to follow that. When it's actually the path to life. That's what the book of Revelation is to the churches in Asia. It's navigation out of the storm. And it's to be received, not as a burdensome law, but as wisdom. You see, Revelation, far from a perplexing book, is actually establishes the fundamentals of discipleship. To see God. Not just as a God who... who who's going to tell us about the end, but the God who holds the end and even now in our present is holding all things. So the third question is why? Why is this significant? Why must we know God as our helper? Well, do I need to say this? Christianity was really wonky with any other alternative. Some of you have lived in it. It's an absolute necessity for God to be our helper and for us attribute all that God calls us to, to his life, to his power, to his help for our life, for our worship, for our, our witness. See, it's easy for the church to have the vocabulary of grace, but not the life of grace. The doctrines of grace wrapped up in a religion of works. And if our experience is not one where God is our helper, then our, our lives quickly become a contradiction to the gospel itself, which is all about publishing the grace and kindness of God to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Who wants their life to become a contradiction? Grace is never eliminated from our, our doctrine, but it is sometimes denied in our lives. And so that's why this week, just, just taking a break from the book, and on this communion Sunday, coming to the Lord's table with a reminder of this very thing, that the things that God calls us to are the things that we depend upon God to sustain us in through his kindness to us. To manifest his grace and not our works and power. There's a psalm that I come across well, every time I read through the Psalms, which is regularly and habitually. Every time I read Psalm 78, verse 5, I stop. And I spend a lot of time thinking about it. It's, it's something that's very important to me. Psalm 78, 5 says this. He, he, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. And it's the idea of one generation to the next that gets my attention in this text that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they would set their hope on God. Isn't that a marvelous picture? 
What else could you possibly ask for in the congregation of God's people to say that, that our, our children and the generation after them will set their hope on God? And the reason I stop on that text all the time, it makes me just stop and pray, stop and think. As I ask myself this question over and over again, what have we got for them? Sorry, there's English teachers here, I'm sure. What do we have for them? Do we have anything more than Christian morals and ethics and patterns of behavior? Do they understand our religion simply as, as modifications of the way that we're supposed to live? Is lordship cast in entirely in a, in a negative light? Or do we have the, the kindness of God as our almighty helper, as the reason for everything? What do we have for them? That they would set their hope on God. In other words, that they would, they would see that in the very things that God calls us to, we are people that ourselves set our hopes on God. And I think Revelation is a good test example. <laughs> Let me explain. I believe that there's differences that manifest themselves when you come to the book of Revelation between a works-orientated, I can do it, Grandpa, kind of religion, and one that casts itself upon the Lord and said, Lord, be my helper. When we come to the book of Revelation, A religion of works will perceive the book as a heavenly threat. A heavenly threat that, that we, be be, we better do better than we are. Or God's going to get us. There's going to come a time when we don't know when. We, we, and I, I grew up in this, okay? So forgive me a little, uh, indulge me uh, a little bit of the perceptions of growing up as a child. In, in, in a church. But it, it seemed to me that fear drove everything, particularly when it came to the book of Revelation. We know Jesus is coming again, and we wish the book was just a little bit clearer. It's not a little bit fuzzy. We try to figure it out, but we don't really know exactly when. If we knew exactly when, then we could put ourselves at ease, but we don't know when. And so we better just be good, because he might come now and thump us. In fact, he could come in 10 seconds. And it seemed like fear drove the whole thing. And as we go through the book, and as we now have come through it, and we'll be finished going through it soon, I hope that in the wake of having gone through the book, that you're not filled with fear. A religion that grasps the grace of God, I believe, will perceive this book of Revelation as a path to adoration. As the mercy of God to show us all that is attributed to the Lamb 
in all of his dominion, in all of his power, in all of his glory, in all of his might. That would enable us, yes, to gladly come out of her. To willfully, joyfully come out of her. Because we, we see it for what it is. It's nothing and it's on its way to destruction. But the lamb is glorious. And the bride, doesn't this make sense to you? The bride adores the bridegroom. <laughs> what kind of relationship would it be if somebody betrothed to another had to be threatened with fear to be faithful to the one that they love and adore? God help us in our witness. And what our lives say about the kindness and the mercy of God. And it's essential for the character of our public worship as well. Let me just say a couple comments on this. That we don't gather to, and this will be, be a point of contention for some of you, that we don't gather to display our strengths, <laughs> do we? Like I say, that will, that will, that's something that will cut close to many of you because that's what you feel like sometimes that, that people come only to display their strength and if you're, if you're weak you feel like you don't fit in or perhaps you shouldn't be there but the whole point of public worship isn't to display our strength but to humbly come in weakness to be made strong again by a, a Lord who is inexhaustible in his grace inexhaustible in his power, and his lordship, and all that is in his hands, all that, that belongs to him. Ascribing all power to him in a complete dependence upon him. You see, you know, giving all glory, power, and praise to the Lamb is only a problem on earth. <laughs> it's not a problem in heaven. Heaven doesn't have a problem with this. It's all about you, Jesus, and I ascribe all power, glory, to might, and dominion and authority to you. Heaven doesn't have a problem with that. It's earth that has a problem with that. And we gather together, and the Lord is our shepherd, gathers us together. You know, I come to church sometimes absolutely, completely incapable of praise. It's not in my heart. It's not in my soul. I, I, I come out of a, a world that I, that, I, that I find completely oppressive to the things of God. I come from circumstances sometimes that completely cover my mind and, and fill me with things that, that make me incapable of worship. But by the grace of God, I, I, I know the discipline of assembling with God's people and sing the praises of God. And God is my helper. And God gathers us by his mercy, by his grace, from all kinds of places, from places of stress, from places of burdens, from places of grief, from places of perplexity. And we gather together and say, oh Lord, be gracious to us. Praise the Lord. The Lord is our helper. In conclusion, as we come to the Lord's table, I want to remind you this morning that it is a place of help that God has given us. It's not just a ritual that we go through. 
It's a place of being sustained by God. By eating, we remember the death of our Lord. And the reason that we belong to this omnipotent Lamb who is exalted above all things is that because he humbly gave his life to purchase us and redeem us. So when you hold the bread in your hand this morning, when you hold the cup in your hand this morning, don't remember Jesus with pity. Don't remember Jesus with sentimentality. Let all that the book of the let all that the Bible finishes with to describe that lamb who has purchased us fill your mind. All of his dominion, all of his power, all of his authority, all of his lordship. As you hold that bread, say, that is the one that I belong to. <laughs> I have been purchased by that Lord. <laughs> purchased by his blood and washed clean with his sacrifice. And, and you know what? Other things are put in their proper perspective. <laughs> when the Lord sets his glory before us, you'll find things falling off. You'll find things fading away, things that you didn't know how you were going to open your hand to let that go. You'll find your hand being opened. Not in your own strength. The Lord is our helper. I'm going to finish by reading a psalm, and Pastor Andrew is going to come then and lead us at the Lord's table. Psalm 68, 19 says this, Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over all things, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Amen.